I hope now you have your Bible. If you do, go ahead and take that out. Turn uh, to Ephesians 4 this morning as we get ready to dive in, because today we have made it to our third week in our series entitled The Journey. And if you remember looking back in week one, we talked about on this journey we're in, we talked about the destination, and we looked at how we want to know where where we want to end up, and in the end, we said we want to get to a place on this journey of discipleship. In other words, we want people who are genuinely and committed to followers of Jesus Christ, that we're not looking to build a church, we're not looking to make people religious, that our goal or our destination is to help people truly walk in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, to experience a life-changing and joyful relationship with Jesus. That's our goal. And then last week, looked at our, our guide. We're going to say, if we're going to get there, if we're going to be at a place of discipleship, how do we get there? We, we mentioned last week how there's only one sure guide, and that's our Bible. And so if we're going to end up with disciples and discipling, the Bible has to be our guide. Today, as we move on in this journey, though, we're going to look at what should be an obvious aspect of our journey, but one that, quite frankly, we can easily ignore. We're going to look at the people on the journey. You see, what we understand about journeys is often the best part of the journey are the people that we're journeying with. I mean, you think about some of the journeys that we take, such as vacations, we know that those people could be our family or they could be our friends, but I have no doubt that there are people that we love. We don't typically take strangers on our journeys, do we? No, it's typically people we want to be around and that we enjoy. However, I wonder this, have any of you ever experienced being on one of those journeys and uh, something happened that caused friction amongst the ones that you are on the journey with? Never, all right. Well, yeah, right, huh? See, sometimes here's what happens. We get so focused on making it to the destination that we forget what is important, that we forget about the people who are with us. For example, maybe someone says, I, I got to go to the restroom. And so they got to stop and you get annoyed because you say, listen, we're trying to get there on time. We, we got a schedule we got to keep. And so you're mad because someone had to go to the restroom, right? And then, then that starts it. It goes downhill from there. All right. All right. Maybe you get partly to your destination, but then you got to think, well, we're, we're going to go out to eat tonight, right? We want to go someplace nice. And so you argue about the place you're going to eat. And because you can't agree. I mean, you go out to eat eventually, but everybody's mad, all right, because half of them didn't get what they want. Or you decide, what, what are we going to do? What activity are we going to do, right? And you can't agree on the activity. And so you end up doing something, but again, everybody's mad. You all know that that's not good, right? Okay? Like my family likes to say, that's no bueno, right? I mean, it just doesn't work because you don't want to be mad at them. But we often get so caught up on the destination or what we're doing that we forget about the people. We forget about what is really important. Nothing matters if we don't have the people on the journey with us and we are not getting along. Now, when we think about this journey we're on as a church, we have to keep the same principle in mind. Because if we're not careful as a church, we too can lose sight of people. I'll just give you a real example for me as a minister. From the week-to-week basis, it can be easy to get caught up in the fact that Sunday is coming that you forget about people. I don't know if you're aware of this, but preachers are always on a deadline. Sunday is always coming. And my guess is every Sunday I come in here, you're expecting a sermon. I mean, how would it be one week if I came in and said, listen, folks, I just been so busy this week. I did not have time to put together a sermon. Y'all wouldn't be happy, right? Well, most of you wouldn't. Some of y'all would say amen to that, right? 
But most of you would say, no, we're expecting that there's going to be a sermon. And so for me to say that it's been too busy a week, that's not going to fly. But here's what I know. Because of that pressure of being here every week, you know Sunday's coming. There's always that deadline. What can happen during the week is you can have an interruption and you want to think to yourself, I don't have time for this interruption. Sunday is coming. I don't have time to deal with this, right? And many times that interruption is somebody who has a hurt. Or something going on in their life that they need you and they need you to minister to. And if you're not careful, again, the destination can make you miss the people. Here's what I've tried to learn in life and ministry, that oftentimes the interruptions are the true ministry. Because that's when you really get to where people are, again, where they're hurting and their pain and their questions. And you have to make sure that you are available to them because if not... If you refuse to minister to someone, that is a great injustice because people are what is important. Now, again, we must keep this truth of the importance of people in mind because as a church talking about discipleship, we don't want the destination to be the ultimate focus. Yes, we need to know where we're going and so we can keep on track. However, we cannot get so focused on the destination that we forget people. For example, if we start a reading plan and say, we've got to get through the lesson but miss a hurt or a pain when someone is suffering, then you might have kept on track for the destination, but you've missed what's really important. Spending the time ministering, counseling to someone in need can be more important than making it through a reading plan on time. As a church, we cannot get so focused on putting a plan in place that we fail to miss the needs of those we're trying to reach if we put a calendar in place and then realize it doesn't work for the people's schedules so that they can be involved, then we would be amiss to press on with the schedule and again, leave the people behind. I hope you're getting the point, all right? People are important. And so as we look at where we want to end up with discipleship, we have to talk about people. And so today we're going to look at this message And we're going to consider the people of discipleship. And we're going to see in our text today that there are three things that are important for the people who are involved with discipleship. And so take your Bible out and turn to Ephesians chapter 4 if you haven't already. In this letter, the Apostle Paul spends the first few chapters, chapter 3, really laying the groundwork of the gospel. He made it very clear that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, he lays the groundwork that a life of faith is based solely on Jesus Christ and his righteousness alone. Now, as he moves into the second half of the letter, though, he becomes very practical. And he talks about how our lives, how we live out this life of faith and how it affects the different areas of our life. Chapter four is kind of that hinge. It moves from the theological to the practical, and it begins discussing people in relationship to the church and the growth that comes in their lives as disciples. These words are so relevant to our topic of discipleship because discipleship is really about helping people grow, grow in their relationship with God, His church, and others. And so as we read chapter four, as I said, we will see three things that those who are being discipled should develop in or that they should grow in. The first one being this, people should grow in unity. Look at how the first few verses here in Ephesians read. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Here Paul is writing to believers and he's challenging them to grow in their faith. His challenge is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He understands that once one is in Jesus Christ, there is a manner in which one should live. 
As we've been saying, one shouldn't just get baptized and think everything is over. Baptism is the beginning. And then the challenge starts to live in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ and all that he has done for you. Paul mentioned several things that should be evident in the lives of believers, such as humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other. But what I want us to key on this morning is that what he mentioned in verse 3 when Paul says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You see, as believers grow in discipleship and in their faith, unity should be a characteristic that shines through their lives. As we consider this idea of unity, what is important for us to remember is the communal nature of the Christian life, that Christianity was never meant to be a solo endeavor. Being a Christian is about being a part of the body of Christ. Too often I see Christians who want to go it alone and say they don't need anyone else, and so they, they, they just try to trudge through the Christian life and life alone, but that's never God's intent. Notice again what Paul said in verses 4 through 6. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, for one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, what is clear in these verses is that as Christians, we have a bond that cannot be denied. We have a bond in Jesus Christ. In fact, for those gathered here in the present this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you to take a few moments, all right? While I'm talking here, take a few moments. I want you to look at others around the room. Don't be afraid to turn around. Just look all across this room at the people who are here. Now, those at home, this is going to be a little difficult. So you've got to imagine. Imagine you're here with us. Imagine looking at some of the people that you know that would regularly be here worshiping. Well, here's what I want you to know. All these people that you see sitting in this room, you are bound to them if they are a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I don't want to be bound to that person. That's why I'm sitting on this side of the room, and they're sitting on that side of the room, right? Or maybe even some of you who are at home today, let's just be honest, you're not really home today because you're afraid of the virus. You're more comfortable at home because you don't have to be around people. In fact, there are some people that you might bump into in the hall that you would just as soon not bump into, and so by listening at home and staying at home, you don't run the risk of bumping into them, right? That's true, all right? I can't see the people shaking their head at home, but I know that's true. We're all this way. We have these moments. Well, here's what I want all of us to know. We can try to avoid people and, and all those things, but if they're in this room or they're at home, wherever they might be, and they are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are bound to them. And why are you bound to them? Because you both have the same need. You both have the need for God's grace to be shown to you in Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer, you both have experienced the same grace. Now, you may have needed grace different than them, but you needed grace nonetheless. And for all those who've experienced grace, you are one in Jesus Christ because he saved you and he called you to be a part of his family with all other believers. For you to look at someone in the body of Christ and to despise them is to be prideful in a way that you shouldn't because you truly needed grace just as much as that person that you are judging needed grace. And God is calling you to be one in Christ with that person because the same God is working in all and through all. And if you look and say, well, I really just don't need anyone else, just know that you're really battling with selfishness because to not think you need others and to not desire to be with other believers is to be self-righteous and not to understand how much you need God, all right, and how much he has done for you and how you are just like others, dependent on a holy God who wants to save you, all right, and make you a part of his body. Indeed, if you are a believer, you are not alone and cannot be alone and be right with God. 
Consequently, God calls us to unity, to be patient with each other, to encourage one another, to be gentle with one another, to bear with one another in love. If you are not convinced that you need others or should be connected with others, you need to go and read your guide. You need to pick this guide up and begin to read it. And here's what you'll do. If you'll read this, you will discover at least 59 one another's, okay? 59 one another's that can only be fulfilled as a part of the body of Christ. In the scriptures, we see the commands to greet one another, to submit to one another, to instruct one another, to serve one another, and so many other one another's that can only be obeyed as part of the body of Christ, part of the united body of Christ. And so if you fail to connect to the body of Christ, then you fail to obey these many commands of Jesus. Now, let me tell you how discipleship helps us in unity. As one is discipled and grows in Christ, you grow to a deeper understanding of yourself and others. That gives you a clearer understanding of your struggle and other struggles, and it helps you gain compassion for those who may be different from you. You also understand more fully how connected you are to others, and therefore you work harder to keep the unity because you understand how important unity is to God's heart and how important unity is for the witness of God. As Jesus prayed to God the Father about the disciples in John 17, he said this, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So that, look at this, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you loved me. Hear this. Unity is so important to the world that the world might know the truth of Jesus Christ. So the world will know that God sent Jesus. If you don't think unity with other believers, even those different than you, is important, then you have not understood the word of Jesus and how important it is to the unity of the body and the witnessing of the world. Because you see, folks, today the world is looking at the church and the world sees the church fighting. And when they see the church fighting, you know what? They don't believe our Christ. And what the world needs to see is a united body of believers because that's a testament to the world that even though we are different, we are one and we can be one in Jesus Christ because what he has done is amazing. Now, with that said, let me ask believers who are listening to me today, whether here or whether online, are you growing in unity? And how do you know? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you quick to criticize other believers or quick to try to understand what is going on in their lives? One leads to unity, the other to disunity. When you hear someone talking bad about another believer, do you join in and criticize too, or do you seek to stop the criticism and support the one being criticized? One leads to greater unity, the other to disunity. When someone criticizes the church, what is your reaction? To join in, or do you seek to support the church? And hear me when I say this. It's not just criticism of our church or your church, if you happen to be a guest with us today, or or any church, for that matter of fact, that proclaims the truth of Jesus Christ. Because, you see, too often, I see believers of one church jumping on the opportunity to criticize another church because they see that other church as competition, so they rejoice when that other church has struggles. Folks, when that happens, it is a failure to see that we are on the same team with other gospel-centered churches. Instead of criticizing other churches, we should be praying for them, encouraging them, defending them, partnering with them, because they are a part of the body of Christ. 
When they hurt, we hurt. When they struggle, we struggle. I honestly think this is a radical concept for most believers. But if we are disciples and grow in Jesus Christ as we should, then unity should be a greater part of our lives as individuals, as in a church. So let me ask you today, are you seeking to grow in unity? If not, you should. Now, as you grow in this unity, it leads to the next characteristic of one who is a growing disciple. It is ministry. Let's continue reading as Paul writes here in in chapter 4, beginning back in verse 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Notice Paul notes that God has poured his grace out on those who believe according to the measure of Christ's gift. The word gift is key because it points to the fact that God has given gifts to every believer. He has given us spiritual gifts. That truth is made plain when Paul said in verse 8 that Jesus gave gifts to men. Now, don't let Paul's little footnote, if you notice it's in parentheses, don't let that little footnote throw you off because when he talks about Jesus descending and ascending, he is just referencing the work of Jesus. I mean, didn't he first descend to earth to take on flesh where he died on the cross for our sin and then was buried in the grave, then three days later rose, but then what did he do? He ascended, right, back into heaven. And so he's just saying, when we talk about the work of Christ, when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. That should make sense to us because Jesus told this to his disciples in John 16. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, Jesus made it clear when he left, let's say when he ascended, that he would send the Holy Spirit. And the scripture makes it clear that the Holy Spirit that was sent when Jesus ascended, that he gives gifts to each person, that we each have spiritual gifts. If you don't believe me, go back, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's very clear that God has given us gifts because also in 1 Corinthians 12, it says this, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who portions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, God gives each individual gifts, all right, as he sees fit in order for those gifts to be used in ministry, to be used to the glory of God and to build up his church. You know, we sometimes we hear the call to unity and we hear conformity. Let me say this. Unity does not mean conformity. In fact, in the body, God has given different gifts in order that everything would be accomplished. In other words, there's great diversity in the body of Christ. We can be unified and still be diversified, all right? Unfortunately, we have so failed to make disciples in the church that we have failed to help people understand the importance of ministry to their lives and to the church as a whole. You see, in the modern-day church, we have built such a consumer mentality in people that people think church is just for their consumption and their comfort, and therefore they fail to get involved and serve in ministry. And in the process, they fail to understand that they are stunting their growth personally and hurting the ministry of the church. Now, why has this consumer mentality grown in the church? Well, let's recognize this. First of all, it's our society, and it hasn't society created a consumer mentality? If you don't believe me, think about this. Any coffee drinkers in the room? 
Any? We got a few, right? I know, I know. Y'all just, some of y'all just ashamed to raise your hand, all right? But just think about coffee, all right? What, what, what you used to do when you buy coffee is you used to go and say, am I going to get instant or brewed? That was your choice, right? You go in the store, instant or brewed. Well, that's not the way it is anymore, right? Because we're such a consumer mentality, it's not just instant or brewed. Now we got to have our choice between a regular or decaf, all right? It's not only that, we got to choose, do, do I get my coffee today in K-cups or am I going to do it some other way, right? And then not only that, I've got a thousand choices on the shelf, right? I can't believe all the different flavors I got of coffee these days. Just, just give me coffee, all right? I don't need all these flavors, but people want all these different flavors. Not to mention on top of that, then some people say, well, today I want my coffee iced or I want my cappuccino, right? Because I got to have it just a particular way. And because with all these varieties, here's what the businesses have done. They've given into people's individual wants and they've catered to their needs and we've just continued to create this consumer mentality. Give me what I want, right? Give me what I want. What's happened to the churches is we've done just the same and in the process produced consumer Christians. This is the reason that you look and find so many Christians who never find a role of ministry in the church. They simply come, consume, and leave. And folks, that has never has been God's plan. In fact, this passage that we are looking at today makes it very plain that that is not what God has planned for us. But at the same time, this same passage has caused the problem. All right? And you say, well, Brother Scott, how can it be? How can one passage make it very plain that we're supposed to be involved in ministry, but the same passage kept people from being involved in ministry? It's because this passage in the past has often been taught wrongly, all right? Now, let me show you what I mean. And first, to do this, we're going to demonstrate the importance of um, of punctuation. Do y'all know the importance of punctuation? If not, let me give you a few examples this morning, right? Let me put a few sentences on the screen. Here's sentence number one. I'm going to read it uh, both ways, the way it's, it's, you know, punctuated, right? Go ahead and put that first one up. It's time to eat, Grandpa. It's time to eat, Grandpa. Does the punctuation matter? Especially if you're grandpa, right? It does, all right? Now, what about this next one? This will be very relevant for Valentine's Day. And I actually heard this happen in the parking lot on the way in this morning. So this is so funny, right? You ready? Look at this, all right? I'm sorry, I love you. I'm sorry, I love you. Any guys made that mistake? I'm going to tell you, I've used that first line. So, yeah, Lewis, Lewis was the one that did it in the parking lot this morning. He had to correct. He had to say there is a comma there today, all right? But we made that mistake all the time, right? I'm sorry, I love you. You know, no, no, that's what I meant. No, dear, I'm sorry, I love you. All right, those two different things. Well, how about this next one? And the ladies are really going to appreciate this one. Are you all ready? Look at this. A woman without her man is nothing. A woman without her, without her, Man is nothing. Is there a difference? All right, you understand. All right, y'all, y'all get, you all with me this morning. All right, well, well, let's look at this. All right, let's look at our passage today. Why is this important? Why did I show you this? Because I want you to understand something very clearly. Many of us grew up on the King James Version of the Bible, right? It's a good version of the Bible. It's actually one that's probably the easiest even to memorize because it has such a poetic nature. But I'm gonna go ahead and tell you this morning, the King James in this got it wrong. In fact, the new King James has corrected it. Let me read this passage from the King James. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
Now, here we see that God gave gifts, and in that means some positions. There were some apostles, teachers, prophets, all of those, all right? But notice as verse 12 reads, it appears that these folks have three functions, all right? Can you put that back up? I want you to look at this very quickly, all right? It appears that these apostles, teachers have three functions for the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You get that? It seems that these people have three roles that they fulfill. Let me read it to you today, though, from the ESV that I'm reading from and preaching and teaching from this morning. Look how it reads. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Do you see the difference? There is no comma after, all right, to equip the saints because there's a huge difference. When you read this text this way, it says these pastors, these prophets, these, they have one role. What is their one role? Their one role is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And it has one outcome for the building up of the body of Christ. Do you see the difference? It is such a huge difference. Because of the way this has been taught in the past, many times we, we looked at ministers and say the ministers are the ones that do the ministry. And because of that, then many people have sat back and say, this is not for me to do, it's for the ministers to do. And so we created this consumer mentality because the ministers are the one who do the ministry, right? But no, the text really reads that pastors and teachers wrote is to equip the saints for ministry. Now, now when I, what I want to do, though, is, is make something very clear. Both sides have been guilty. Ministers have been guilty of that. Why? Because, I, I got news for you, sometimes you, you, ministers want to do all the ministry. Why? Because you get all the pats on the back. Pat them on the back. Oh, you're doing such a great job, preacher, you know, and, and we like that. We like to get the pats on the back. We, we, we like that to people to praise us, and it feels good that we do all those things. And so we've often been satisfied to sit back and, and do the ministry to get all the praise. Not only that, let me say this. It's often easier to do the work yourself and try to equip someone to do it. So ministers have been guilty. But also we have to understand the, the members have been guilty. Why? Because they, they like sometimes to be ministered to. When they're ministered to, their commitment level is low. Their needs are being met. All is good. And so we're happy to say, oh, we're just going to let the, the ministers minister to us. Now, granted, in both cases, that's a little oversimplified and a little overgeneralized. Not every minister or member feels this way. But I think you understand what I'm saying and understand that this is often the reality. What I'm saying to you all today is this, this has to change. Those that, we, th th those that have the title ministers must take the challenge to equip every saint for the work of ministry, and every saint must take the challenge to discover how God has gifted him or her for ministry and then minister. It is then and only then that the church can become all that God intends for it to be. Now, discipleship is important here because in discipleship, people find as they grow in their relationship with God, he has a way of revealing the gifts and passions that he has placed in them. Also, as a part of discipleship, a discipler can often help the one being discipled recognize gifts that would not have been noticed on their own or, or maybe encourage that gift that, that hadn't been encouraged before. I know both Jonas and I, as we talked and discussed the sermon this week, we both realized in our life we've had experiences that many times the people that have become the greatest ministers that, that we have seen are ones that we've actually went to before and said something like this. Have you ever thought about doing this? 
And, and whatever that gift that we recognize in them, we've asked them, had they thought about doing that? Or, or looking at them and said, hey, I really think you would be good at this and filling in the blank and encourage them to do that, all right? Now, the response to that typically is twofold. Once I've heard people say this, they say, well, you know what? I've been thinking about that. And all we were doing is recognizing the gift that God was already confirming in their life. They already felt it inside. They just hadn't acted on that. And they were says, you know, I was thinking that very thing thing. And so again, it was just affirmation that God was saying, I've got a gift for you and I want you to use. And it was the encouragement they needed to get involved. The other response is off of this. Do you really think I can do that? Do you really think? Because so many people don't see the gifts that God has placed in them. And they need that encouragement because we battle so often with self-esteem and all of that. And what sometimes a discipler can do is if they're discipling someone, they can look at that and I say, I clearly see that God has given you this gift or I really think that you would be good at this. And that can give them all the encouragement they need. That discipleship allows these close relationships that help that happen. Now, when we consider the importance of you recognizing your gifts or gifts and using them, you need to know that your involvement in ministry is important to the overall work of the church. Also, until you are involved in ministry, you will never grow to the place that God wants you to grow. There are simply some things that you learn doing ministry that you will never learn otherwise. I mean, sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes you learn patience, all right? Sometimes you learn sacrifice, even service, maybe compassion or humility. There are so many things that you can learn doing ministry, and so being active in ministry helps you grow. I'll attest to the fact this, that is ministry that's helped me grow to be who I am today. Whether that was volunteer ministry before I was in full-time ministry or now being in ministry for all these years, I can surely tell you that ministry has taught me so much. And if I hadn't been active in ministry, even when I was young, I would not be the person who I am today. And so I want to challenge you to be active in ministry so that God might grow you. And you know what else I found? When you are involved in ministry, it has a way of facilitating unity between you and the others you are involved in ministry with. Because many times in the process of ministry, you get to know people and many times either gain a deeper appreciation for someone or at least a greater understanding of that person. And if one is focused on ministry, many things that even can divide you can fall by the wayside because you recognize that you don't have to be exactly the same to truly love God and make a difference for him. And so I wonder today, are you active in ministry? If not, I want to encourage you to discover your gift and begin to serve actively in ministry. So here we see so far that the people of discipleship are important and that they should be growing in unity in ministry. And if these two things are present, you'll see that the people who are discipled also grow in one other thing. They grow in maturity. After Paul talks about equipping the saints for ministry to build up the body of Christ, he goes on to say this, beginning back in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that built itself up in love. You know, he says we should strive for unity in ministry until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. As I read these words, I'm reminded of the corporate nature, again, of church. 
Discipleship is important not just for individual growth, but the growth of the entire body. It is striving for all to have unity, all to have knowledge, and all to have maturity. And isn't maturity important? It is, isn't it? Think about this. I'm, I'm going to think about my life as a parent. Believe it or not, I think parents will also understand this. There is a time in my life where I got excited about a dirty diaper. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, some of y'all got even young ones, right? You, you get that first dirty diaper. Oh, it's a dirty diaper. Yay. Woo. Right? You're excited. But it didn't take long for that excitement to wear off, right? Because it wasn't long before you're saying, why? I sure can't wait until you are potty trained, right? Yeah, that's the way it goes. We want them to mature. I also remember there was a time where I enjoyed running my kids everywhere to all their activities and all those things, and it was exciting. But then I got to a point where I says, I sure can't wait until you can drive. That's right. So you could drive yourself around because I'm tired of it, right? And then when you think about our kids, there's a point in time, you love having your kids, right? If you just love your story, but then you get to a point where you can't, you wait, say, I can't wait until you Move out. That's right. Move out. It's time to go on right? because you want them to mature. I mean, what parent wants a 30-year-old living in their basement playing video games all day long? None, right? None. Because we want our kids to mature. As we think about that, that's the reality with church, all right? In church, that's what we want for believers. Every church longs for believers to move from infancy to maturity. And the most effective way for that to happen is for the church to disciple. Now, how do we know when maturity in the church is happening? Well, Paul gives several markers. First of all, as you, as you mature, you're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and deceitful schemes. One reason, hear me, one reason that I know that Christians have failed to reach maturity and that we need better discipleship is because we live in a day where people are all over the place. So-called Christians are constantly led astray by conspiracy theories and false doctrines. It breaks my heart to see Christians so easily led astray. Maturity, folks, brings stability. We need maturity in the body of Christ. Paul also said when we mature, we speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. In fact, let me share at least three things that I believe will happen in a church where there are mature believers speaking the truth in love. One, there will be prayerful encouragements. This is what Paul wrote in Romans 1. He says, for, it, for God is my witness who I am served with my spirit and the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may, look at this, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, but both yours and mine, all right? Paul prayed for these believers, and he was looking for that mutual encouragement. I believe if we're mature, we'll see prayerful encouragement of one another. Second, there will be gentle restoration. In Galatians 6, 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted to bear with one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Then there will be honest confession. In James 5, 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I'm not saying these are the only things that characterize a body of believers who have moved to maturity. But oh, how freshing it would be if the people of God moved to prayerful encouragement where we found truly mutual encouragement and prayer for one another. Would that not be great? 
I would think it would be great if we moved to the place of maturity where there was gentle restoration, where when someone was going down the wrong path or they were making the poor choices, that we could speak the truth out of love in them and say, look, I see where you're headed and it's not a good direction. Let me help you. Let me restore you because I don't want you to suffer this path that you're heading down. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great to be in a church where honestly we, we were so mature and we loved each other so well and we're so united and growing in Christ that there could be honest confession, that we could confess our sins one to another and we could do that not worrying about if people are gonna judge us, not worrying if they're gonna take that and spread that as gossip, but instead we confess our sins one to another and we would pray for one another and that people would be healed from them, those sins. Would that not be great, folks? Well, I believe today that if we are a body of believers growing to maturity, where we are uniting, all right, and we're growing in our faith, that we will find this place where we can have a church just like that. And here's what I believe, again, that the church becomes a place where genuine discipleship is taking place. All these things will happen. First, because these things will happen in a small, intimate discipleship group. People will find in their discipleship group those that they have confidence in and trust with their deepest needs. But I believe that as more and more people are discipled and grow in their faith, the unity of the church, the number of people involved in ministry will grow. The maturity of people of the church will grow as a whole and all these things will happen. Does that possibility excite you? Does it? I hope that possibility excites you and you will take the challenge to be discipled, to disciple others, and to express or experience this amazing growth and maturity that God desires. Now, I know today I need to close. I've been a little long, so thank you all for being patient on this cold Sunday morning. But let's not forget that on this journey of discipleship, we are joined by many people. Don't ever forget the people you're on the journey with. And because we're on this journey, let's make sure we stay focused on them so that we strive for unity, that we become involved in ministry, and so that we grow in maturity. Will you take that challenge today? I hope so. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you today. And as we bow in your presence, Lord, once again, we are so thankful that your word speaks honestly to us and speaks even into our, our moment, our present moment. Today, Father, we see in this word that there is this challenge for us to truly grow to grow in our unity, you know, to grow in our ministry involvement, to grow in our maturity. And I pray, Father, that as we've shared these words together, that you have spoken to some hearts, that you've convicted some lives, some people who say, I want to be a part of that. I want to grow. I want to be discipled. I want to help the church be all that it needs to be. <clears throat> and I want to be all that God wants me to be. And so this morning, even as we come to invitation, God, I pray that you'll move in hearts and lives. And people today will begin to get an excitement and a commitment that says, I'm ready to be a part of discipleship. I'm ready to be discipled, and I'm looking forward to discipling others. So would you do that this morning, God? And even as we come to this time of invitation, maybe the first step, Lord, for some is they need to give their life to you. They need to join the family, God. They need to open their heart to Jesus. And so if that's their first step, I pray that they would come and give their life to you. But for others, again, that there's a deeper commitment, they need a discipleship. I pray today would be the day they would say, I'm ready to take that challenge. I'm ready to go deeper with the Lord today. And they would join us on this journey of discipleship and see their faith continue to grow. So bless this invitation, God. Let your spirit move. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.